Hello everyone, this is Tim Dodd. Welcome to the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Faithful to give witness to tens of thousands, yes, and to the millions that believe it. And believes and I believe that God's gladly lived a packet until all around the world it's been circulated. Greetings, brothers and sisters, and welcome to another episode of the Believer's Faith Challenge podcast. Today in the studio at Clover the Bible Way, we have Brother Jason DeMars, a special guest here in the studio with us and Brother Tim Dodd. Uh, we've had him a few times in the podcast, but I believe this is the first time we're having him in person. Yes, sir. In the in the new studio here at Clover the Bible Way. Brother Jason is from South Carolina, I believe, uh, Bethel Tabernacle. Yes, sir. With Brother Jason um, Watkins. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about a recent trip that Brother Jason DeMars was on I won't spoil it for you, so I'm just going to let Brother Tim Dodd introduce him now. Brother Tim. Thank you, Brother Jean. It's good to be here once again this week. It's good to have Brother Jason DeMars with us. He's no stranger to our podcast. This will be his fourth podcast with us. Brother Jason is a missionary working in uh, certain parts of the world, which we'll get into. Uh, but welcome, Brother Jason. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. It's good to have you back. And it's especially good to have you in studio. This is a lot easier than doing it on Zoom. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and the, not just because of the Zoom aspect, but the different time zones is always a hassle. It is. It is. It's always tough to figure out our schedules and when you're busy. And so we're here. We're all captive in this one place and we're going to have a good time. Amen. So Brother Jason was ministering at uh, Living Word. I can't remember the name of the church. Living Word Believers? Yes. No. Is that what it's called? Living Word Tabernacle. Living Tabernacle. Word Tabernacle. Okay. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And uh, locally here. And so we heard he was in the area and he said, Brother Jason, we got to catch you on the podcast now and got to have some time together, catch up on what's happening on the missions field in the areas of the world that you're working yes, in. Sir. If if the listener remembers, it, you can go back to July of this year with our, with, with our last episode with Brother Jason. And uh, that episode would have been number 97. And uh, he, uh, we talked about his, impend- his pending trip to the Middle East mm-hmm. and what he was going to be doing. And that was in July. And so in August, you went over to the Middle East. Yes, sir. And uh, then we said we'd catch up with you. And because of scheduling conflicts, both you were away, I was away then in Africa and different things. Mm-hmm. So here we are. This is catching up from July and <laughs> it's right. now November. Time flies. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm just going to say to our listeners here, uh, if you can go back to that episode in July, it's the message in the Middle East, a translation update, because that was when Brother Jason shared for the first time how God opened the doors in Egypt for the message to, Mm -hmm. for the translation work to begin in Arabic, which is the fifth most spoken language with around 300 million speakers. Mm -hmm. Amen. So Brother Jason, you went... In August to the Middle East, tell us what your itinerary was, what your objective was. Yeah, I went to Egypt first, and uh, objective there was we try to have an annual special meeting with the believers there and get them out to a conference center, a place where they can relax and enjoy themselves and um, and worship the Lord and learn more about the message. So. Um, we were going to do that in February. Um, my mother passed away at the end of January, so we rescheduled that for the summertime. It's always coinciding with when their schools are out and mm-hmm. um, they 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 take their 
school very seriously. It's a hugely populated country, and if you don't get a high-level education, your hopes for a job are impossible. So right. we have to always plan our trips and schedule around making sure everyone's free. Otherwise, you go there and you might preach a couple services and everybody's mind is somewhere else. So <laughs> mm-hmm. um, we went there and uh, we held two services in their downtown Cairo serve church. And then um, after that, we went out up towards Alexandria where we had the the special meeting. So, um, yeah, it was it was a wonderful, wonderful time. I, I spent most of the time um, ministering to them about um, our future home mm. and going, th- going through the millennium and the new heaven and the new earth. And it was all very... It's all very new to them. Mm-hmm. Um, future home is not translated yet into the Arabic language, okay. and I've never broached the subject with them. So it was, it was interesting, and there was some Pentecostal mm. people there who, uh, you know, they really thought we went off to heaven and played harps, you know, for oh, my, my. for all of eternity, and that that was uh, it was a real shock to them. And <laughs> this is a little little humor inserted in but uh-huh. in the in arabic culture they don't like dogs so okay. in our questions and answer session at the end of the meetings they said are you serious that there will be dogs in heaven because <laughs> <laughs> i went through brother branham's vision and fritz coming and <laughs> they they i my my yes god made dogs in the beginning yeah. he's restoring us back yeah. that's Paradise lost and paradise restored. So, yes, there'll be dogs. Oh, they, some of them just shook their heads, you know. I can't, I don't know about that. <laughs> Imagine, it's amazing the cultural impact. And I yeah. find a lot of it, uh, a lot of misunderstanding about what's going on is strictly because a lack of the word. Yeah. It's really the bottom line, even amongst the denominational people, a lack of the word. We find that in Uganda. I was having a devotion the other day. This is kind of off topic, but I was having a devotion the other day uh, with the young people, uh, and, and I was just taking some lessons from the life of Martin Luther. Mm. And this was at the school here. And uh, I was just bringing out, you know, how Luther had cried out to Mary mm. when he was dying, when he was very young. He had been injured in his legs, just like Brother Branham. He was le- bleeding to death, actually. Mm. And, then, uh, and then how that, you know what penance was like and different things that the Catholics believed and mm-hmm. taught. And, and I said, do you know why they believe those things? I said, it seems kind of strange. And to the young people, it was like, this is bizarre. Yeah. How can anybody believe those right. things? But I said, the reason they, they believe that is because they had no Bibles. Mm-hmm. They had no Bibles. Only the priests had Bibles. And yeah. so that began to explain to me, but that's still real in this age. Yeah, it is. That you can go to a Pentecostal church, you can go to a, a Pentecostal gathering in, in places, in countries where the people cannot afford to buy a Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the preacher may or may not have a Bible. Yeah. And wow. then it's true. Yeah. That's, it, a, that's, that's incredible. Just yeah. to think about uh, the message future home and not having access to that message. And we, we take things for granted here. We know what a future home is going to be like. Mm-hmm. We know rapture events. We know everything after that. And it never even crossed my mind that that would be something new to certain believers. Like right? It's eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I really, I, I did, I think I did all, well, I did five services on on that. And then I did one service on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Mm. And um, 
Yeah, it, it. I mean, most of them were just eating it up like, man, this is the great. <laughs> I've never heard anyone preach about this. This is incredible. But there was a few Assemblies of God ministers that got invited as part of the outreach, and and uh, they they wanted to stick with their harps up up in the clouds. <laughs> my, so my, my, my. okay. And uh, also during that trip, the pastor we were with, I was traveling with a good friend from church, um, Brother Travis Jackson, and um, he he was with me. We were seeing a few different sites, and we went into Coptic Cairo, which is like the oldest part of Cairo. They've got some churches there that are some of the oldest churches in the world. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go there, visit the museum. And so going in, they for the Egyptian citizens, they asked for their ID, so we went in, we paid our fee, they got Brother Megali's ID, and they ke- they keep it while you're in there. So mm-hmm. we went in, walked through, came out, and uh, they took Megali back to some office somewhere. Mm-hmm. No explanation. We didn't know what was happening. So we sat and waited uh, for him, and, I mean, it was... Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and being Middle East missions, I thought, okay, uh, he's going to be arrested, Mm -hmm. and I don't know, maybe we're next. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Thinking, do we we run? (laughs) Do we we call an Uber and get back to the hotel? What should we do? And I just fell in my heart, no, you got to stand your ground and be here with brother, be here for brother Megali and whatever it takes to stand with him. Sure. And um, we, Brother Travis and I, just started praying together and seeking the Lord. And out comes Brother Megali, and he says, "Well, I was when I was making our new church building, they put a lock on the door and told me I have to have approval to to have a church there. And so I went to get approval for the church, and they said you can get approval after you finish your improvements on it." And um, so he was like, I'm stuck in between. So he broke the lock, fixed it up, went and got approval, thought everything's fine. So they told him, you have, an, uh, you have been um, sentenced to two months in prison and 10,000 pound fine for breaking that lock. Um, you know, and here he's, that's Egyptian justice system. They right. sentence him without a hearing or anything like that. So. Wow. We're thinking, my goodness, he can't. He can't travel. They get his ID on the road. They're gonna arrest him. Uh, and but he said, the good part is that you guys were here with me when this took place because they said I heard them say to their superior, the problem is, is he's here with two Americans, and you know what's gonna happen if we arrest him now. Right. Right. So we don't want a diplomatic problem on their mm. hands. Mm. <laughs> little did they know of my past experience working with Iranians and different advocacy groups and, and right. connections. Uh, they didn't know anything about that, of course. And so, it, it, you know, I'm thankful it didn't happen because if I if I would have had to do anything, it probably would have meant the end of my um, time going to Egypt. That's mm. for sure. Mm. So the Lord the Lord used us. You know, if he would have been pulled over or got his ID taken. A week before, mm-hmm. he'd be in jail. He'd have been in jail, right, right. And so, the Lord undertaking for him, he's mm-hmm. able to be let go, call an attorney, and so um, 
you know, that, that's, that all happened on the trip. He was, he got the attorney to go and, and schedule a hearing and he's had the hearing now since then. And, um, the, uh, the, the judge is going to make a issue a statement probably in the next, I think in the next month or so. Uh So be in prayer for brother Megalee. But that, that happened on that trip. It was, uh, of course, quite a stressful situation and circumstance, but the Lord saw us through that. And we were able to have our, that was before the meetings took place, before we went up to the Alexandria area. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, of course, we heard a little bit about it. Where mm-hmm. where does it stand now? Is he still in Egypt? Is he? Uh... He's still in Egypt. Okay. Um, he's looking, for, the attorney suggested he get out of the country for a couple months. And so mm-hmm. we're looking for a way to try to help him to do that. It's not like a Canadian or an American. It's not too easy to right. to go to other countries if you're from Egypt, Egypt or exactly. Turkey or uh, any of those Middle Eastern countries. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll certainly be praying for Brother Megaly. He's the main translator as well. He is. Yep. He uh, he works together with his son, and so that's that's part of the concern. Is that's my main burden right now for the Arabic language is for for Egypt missions is translations. They know about the message, but they need to have as much of it translated as possible so they can have it in their hands and feed on it and let that word change them. Cause that's absolutely really where we're at. And a lot of places in the Arabic world, there's no possibility for any of us to go preach there. Mm-hmm. You went to Saudi Arabia, you went to UAE, mm. Dubai, any of these places, Syria, that's the last that you're going to be heard of. Yeah. And so having the message on Message Hub in Arabic is mm-hmm. probably the way the Lord, what the Lord's going to use to reach those countries. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I believe that too, Brother Jason. You know, I've often thought a lot of these countries, like the North African countries, uh, which are largely Arabic speaking, mm-hmm. because before uh, the, the uh, religion of Islam took over, they were largely illiterate. Mm-hmm. And so... The, when the Islamicists, or however you call them, took over, they begin to teach the people Arabic. Mm-hmm. And so the literacy rate has grown to 30, 40, 50% or more, yep. and which I, I just consider that as uh, a wonderful for the message because yeah, of the yeah. work you're doing. Now the message is going into Arabic. These people that could not read before can now read, yeah. and they can read Arabic, and we're getting the message into Arabic. So... We thank them for teaching the people how to read. Yeah, amen. <laughs> so we can get the message into their hands. Exactly. Amen. So that's wonderful. And I know there's been 10 messages uploaded this year. There's a total of 66 messages on the Message Hub in Arabic mm-hmm. and just 10 this year up until September. And uh, yep. we thank God for Brother Megali and his son and whomever amen. else is helping them there. Mm-hmm. And the work continues on. And God bless you, Brother Jason, for supporting that. And uh, Bible Believers has only had a very, very small portion of support in this. Uh, I know you're you're the main supporter of it, and um, we so thank God for what you're doing in that language because, as Amen. Brother Jean has already said, it's the fifth most spoken language in the world, mm-hmm. and uh, it covers a lot of nations, mm-hmm. yep. a lot of nations. It sure does, and, it, you know, it's, it's uh, Abraham's other son by Ishmael is a lot of the people that are speaking it. Right. That's the main people that are speaking it. And, and, uh, it's amazing. You think about everything that's going on and they're Gentiles and, 
they could have a chance as individuals to repent and mm-hmm. come and receive the word and, and be in the rapture with us. And that's Amen. That's what we're laboring for now. Amen. Think about it mm-hmm. for Ishmael's children. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And how is the church doing in Egypt? It's doing good. You know, they 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 need some growth. You know, mm-hmm. and like anywhere, but uh, Brother Megali is doing a good job, and he himself has a very good understanding and grasp of the message, and so Wonderful. he's just he's preaching that and proclaiming that, and and being as patient as he can with the people to catch the revelation of things. And, uh, one one uh, thing I can mention is there was a young brother in uh, uh, and his wife in the services, and I could see that the Holy Spirit was just dealing with them throughout the services. And uh, and I preached on the the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He he uh, came forward for prayer afterwards, and he said, "Will you pray for me to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost?" He said. All service, I was listening to you preach, and I felt uh, like a fire going through my body while I was listening to the word. And I said, I can, I can pray for you to receive the Holy Ghost, but I believe the Lord has given you the Holy Ghost because that's how it came. Exactly. You know, Amen. in the house of Cornelius, while the word was being spoken, Amen. they received the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I said, brother, I can see that the Lord has done something in your life. And so... Seeing that, man, that's what a, I was so thankful to see the Lord working Amen. in this brother's heart, you know. It's wonderful <laughs> when God comes behind and confirms a word like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Amen. We just love that very much, very, very much. And, and just believe with you, Brother Jason, and, you know, sometimes um, we have to deal with some misconceptions of the Holy Ghost and how to get the Holy Ghost. And mm-hmm. I believe that's why Brother Branham preached on the Holy Ghost is to get us out of I'll say Pentecostalism, yep. for lack of a better word. And mm-hmm. I, this isn't a doctrinal broadcast, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we want to make sure that people are receiving the true word of God, which is the message of the hour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Amen. So that's good. How long were you in Egypt? I think I was in Egypt for six days. Okay. So I hit the ground running and immediately preaching and then two services a day the last few days. That's there. a tight so, schedule. Yeah, it was a tight schedule. And then you went from there to Israel? Yes, I went there to, from there to Israel, and it was a blessing. And the first time in, I think, 12 years that my wife was able to join me on any portion of a missions trip. So she met me there. Wonderful. A few other people from church met us there. And um, so we, we did a little touring on our own and spent some time with... Uh, the pastor there and his wife and family, and then held several services with the church in uh, in Tel Aviv. In Tel Aviv. Yep. Wonderful. How yeah. many days in Israel? We were, I think, nine days, ten days in Israel. Okay. Okay. Yep. And you took a couple of services? Yes. Okay. Yes, took a couple of services and then spent some days with the, with the family, there, that family there, just to encourage them and mm-hmm. have some fellowship. That's a very so. small group there, isn't it? It's a pretty small group, actually. If I think if every message believer went to church all together, there there'd probably be about seventy people. Okay, would be my my best estimate. And regular attenders is when I come and preach. They're usually there there they'll be more like forty five, fifty. Okay, and a regular service is between twenty five and forty. It's right. Um, most everyone there that's in the church is. Um, 
you know, they're there as immigrants, whether they're from the Philippines or Africa, somewhere in some of the countries in Africa, or um, some of them have, they were born and raised there. They're Rush. They're originally from Russia, but they're Jewish. Their family is Jewish. Okay. And some of them have come to the message in, in Israel, and some of them have come to the message in, in Russia. And there's people that, that are Jews from kind of the um, former Soviet Union, mm-hmm. uh, the republics, Central Asian republics, and, and so forth that are there in the church. Um, but, you know, it's, it's tough for them to get to church. You know, they're not, they're not high-level people working at uh, well-paying jobs. And mm-hmm. Israel's a very expensive country to, to okay. live in. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. So when you say hard for them to get to church, they might be working on they're, that day. They're working, or it's you know it's a long distance to cover. Or right. They don't. Some of them have vehicles. Most of them don't have vehicles, and so I think there's a there, there's a brother that moved there that was able to uh, drive some more of the people to church. So that's that's been helpful. But it's kind of that situation where they live and they work near where they live, and then to get to church, it's sort of like we got them. Uh, move. There's got a, a lot of moving parts to get them there, right? Whether right. it be by bus or however they get there. So okay. yeah. So we always envision Israel as a first world country. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly are a modern country, yeah. And of course, they have a lot of ties to the past, so they have a lot of uh, antiquity amongst them, mm-hmm. and a lot. Of, I imagine a lot of areas of the country are still living quite old lifestyles or antiquated lifestyles. Now, for the people uh, that have moved there, and you've just kind of described it, maybe I'll get you to elaborate a little bit on mm-hmm. that, is that what drew them there and what keeps them there is mm-hmm. the question. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them it was work, mm-hmm. you know, coming from countries where there wasn't a lot of good work. So they they heard of, of jobs there and uh, applied and were able to move there. Others uh, coming from Russia... Um, you know, their Jewish heritage felt, well, we have an opportunity to move to a, another country that job opportunities and maybe there's more freedom there. So we'll go, we'll go and live, live mm-hmm. there. So that's okay. probably a lot of the, the Russian speaking people is it's, it's a, a step up and improvement okay. in, in life to get, okay. to get to Israel. But yet they're still relative to Israel. They're still on the poorer side. Yes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Now I've heard, and so we'll we'll dig a little bit here, mm-hmm. if you don't mind. For sure. Um, that the Israeli mindset is quite anti-Christian. Yes. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've had a lot of people that are very surprised by that. Um, you, if you notice, I haven't said anybody's names, right, or the cities that they live in, and that's purposeful because. Um, it would be, it would be a very bad thing for them if that were to get out. There's, there is uh, very strict uh, Jews who are continuously looking for missionaries living in Israel, mm. um, and you know, trying to make their lives miserable. Um, right. There is, there's been protests at the Western Wall um, for the pre because of the presence of Christians visiting the Western Wall. They, you know, there's a, mm. there's a group of people in Israel that feels like we should 
ban all Gentiles from coming Interesting. to the Western Wall, to the um, Temple Mount area. Mm. Um, so there definitely is a strong anti-missionary current. You know, there's churches in, in Israel. There's right. even very large, you know, Hillsong-type churches okay. in, in Israel. And they can operate fine. Um, but as, as soon as you start to mention any kind of missionary or book distribution or anything to that effect, you'll, you'll find trouble. And, uh, you know, there's been a number of even message-believing ministers that have tried to go into Israel and um, have been stopped at the border and told, you can't, you can't come in. Really, because they're going to they're going to preach, and probably right. probably their way to forward about I'm going to do missions in Israel. Well, mm. you're not going to do missions in Israel, right? Right. <laughs> right. So it's more of a it's a mindset against the spreading of of any like say Christianity. Exactly. You can yeah. be a Christian, but don't try to spread it through yeah, books and missions. You can be a Christian right? and yeah. visit all the places you want and spend all the money you want in Israel, but do not. Come here thinking you're gonna convert right. Jews to Christianity. We don't want that, right. and we're they're against that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know. Well, that's that's kind of the same in in a lot of places of the world where I hate to say it, they have dead religion. Yeah. You know, like India. Yeah. You know that they also have anti-conversion laws. Yeah. Uh, against largely against Christianity, mm -hmm. which is the only live religion there is. Yep. And. Uh, so you've got the same in, in uh, India, you've got the same in Pakistan, you've got different places where to convert people is against the law. Yeah. And uh, in Israel, it is, they do have freedom of religion. So it's, you know, that's what they're putting forward. And that's why there are churches and, you know, you can operate. There's been discussion with the brothers there of can we, you know, bring this above board and can we make mm -hmm. it, you know, not a secretive uh, church and a secretive establishment or, um, you know, but it's very expensive. It's it's a sure. large annual expense with the lawyers and accountants that you have to hire and all this, all this process. And real estate is, you know, you think I come here and look at the prices of things in <laughs> Canada and, you know, it's, it's much more expensive for real estate in Israel. Oh, really? Yeah. Mercy. And prices here are very, very expensive. Yeah, that's what I said. Mercy. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's uh, it's very expensive to have a house or to have you know a, a turn a facility, maybe a warehouse or whatever it might be into a church. It's it's uh, not an easy thing to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Needs. Um, what are we? Um, you're working in Arabic, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, maybe I'll, I'll get you to. How do people, if they want to support the Arabic translation, how do they do that? What's your connection? Yeah, so I have a, on my website, presenttruthmn.com. Uh, if you look on the uh, Give tab, under that it says um, Translations. So there's a place you can go on there and um, support the Arabic translations, and that alerts me to what it's, it's to go. And then my uh, accounting can put it towards that. Um, that's that's probably the main thing there with the Arabic translation. Right. Mm -hmm. And if people are more comfortable giving to Bible believers, if you mark it for Arabic translation, we'll make sure that Brother Jason gets it. 
And you also have a podcast, Brother Jason. Mm-hmm. What's the name of your podcast? <laughs> Jason DeMar's podcast, I guess is what it's called. <laughs> is it? Kept it I simple. thought it was something else. <laughs> I used to have a different name for okay. it, but uh, okay. I, cha- I changed it up and just uh, simplified it. All there. right. So if you want to hear Brother Jason DeMars, I think you're preaching on the podcast, is that or teaching on the podcast. Yep, doing teaching on the podcast. Bible that, studies and such. Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. And and missions updates too as things okay. come along and right. answering questions and sometimes addressing things like what's going on in Israel right now. So Which yeah. brings us to the next yeah. question. Is that so you were there in August mm-hmm. and then October the seventh. Yeah. Uh just a, a real there just isn't words to describe no. the evil that was perpetrated I upon know. Israel. Yeah. And uh, that impacts, you know, a lot of family. You know, we just had a, uh, a Remembrance Day ceremony on Friday at the school here. Mm. And I was uh, commenting on it on Sunday because we had a, Holocaust, a, a descendant of a Holocaust survivor mm. speak at our assembly. Oh, neat. And so it was very good for the young mm-hmm. people in that uh, this... This gentleman's father was a four-year-old at the Holocaust. Mm. And if you know anything about the Holocaust, uh, which I'm sure you do, mm-hmm. is that uh, the children were mercilessly killed, yeah. the Jewish children. They, 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 the Germans had no use for the children because they couldn't work. Wow. And so mm. there was it was like 95% death rate for children. And so wow. the... Um, his father miraculously survived. I won't go into the details to save time. He, this gentleman that spoke for us was born in Jerusalem. And uh, now his daughter is now, uh, they, they were, he brought his family over here and has raised them in Canada. But his daughter went back to visit Israel mm. and is now in the Israeli army of her own choice wow. and is an officer in the army. And I won't go into any more details because mm-hmm. I don't want to. You know the reasons, mm-hmm. and and nevertheless, uh, how this girl felt a call. She was actually uh, given a full scholarship at a local university. She was that advanced, wow. uh, and they wanted to give her a full scholarship. But she detoured to Israel for a year, and then decided this is my call. Mm-hmm. And so you, we know that that's spiritual, not just natural. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I was describing to the people on Sunday says we often so when we often talk about Israel we talk very much on the large scale mm-hmm. you know the the ages and the prophecies and the generations and the 70 weeks you right. know and all of those mm-hmm. things but really it's it's a history made up of millions of individual stories mm. millions that's of individual true. stories and this was one story and that's why I was glad that they had arranged for this person to share his story and the story of his family and for the young people to see it's not just these gigantic prophecies and these end-time events and all of these things mm-hmm. that we look at, but these are individual lives. Yep. And you're, you're in contact with people over mm-hmm. there. So w- what did you hear when, mm-hmm. when this began to take place? Yeah, you know, there's, of course, the nat- natural portion is there's just a lot of fear and, and, and worry and... Um, you know, the, the first thing is, is this going to spread all throughout the country? You know, the, the most of the believers are, you know, kind of in the central area up towards Tel Aviv, which, of course, is the area that's constantly being, when they, when they launch rockets, they, they're launching them towards Tel Aviv. And um, 
So they're going in and out of the bomb shelters. They're not sure what's happening. Mm. They're not sure where this is going to go. I, I was in constant contact with the, my good friend over there and um, when it was first taking place and and um, they just didn't, you know, they're, they're living in an area 20% of Israeli's popula- Israeli population is, is Arab, so they don't know and here they, they're, all of them live, well, there's an Arab neighborhood over here and there's an Arab city over here and they're right, right next to us. Are they going to raise up? It's shelter in place. Don't go anywhere. Mm. Um, and the thought is, is the West Bank going to raise up? Is this neighborhood next to me going to raise up and just start coming into homes? And every loud noise that's coming, you're thinking, oh, right. is mm. this, mm. what sure. is this? And, you know, they 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 had in the Arab Arab neighborhood, they could feel an explosion, hear, hear and feel that explosion. Uh, then the police come and it's... And, an Arab guy making a making bombs, you know, in his garage. You know, less than a, a you know a kilometer away from from them, mm. right. and um, so it's it wears at them. Right. That's sure. really what it is. Is mm-hmm. it's you're in a constant state of feeling stress. Your uh, your cortisol is up yeah. continuously. So you're. You sleep, but you don't sleep deeply. You, you're waking up every every noise, every sound, and it's just right. Right, wears your mind down. It wears your body down. So that's that's what they're facing. You know, a regular occurrence is you're going through town to the grocery store, and uh, bombs are going. Bombs are exploding above you. The Iron mm-hmm. Dome is intercepting bombs ahead of you. You're driving down the road, and uh, as you're driving. Uh, the Iron Dome explodes a, a a bomb in front of you and behind you. So, mm-hmm. you know these are the that's the reality for people in a you know in a lot of areas, but especially the cities, um, all all around Israel. That has so. to be a high stress level. You know we, and this is by no means comparable, but uh, I'm I'm going to try and say this nicely without throwing my wife under the bus here. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in an area with a lot of Indian immigrants. Yeah. And this past weekend is a festival they have, and the Indians love fireworks. Uh-huh. I'm not a lover of fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you were, you were hearing them. Yeah. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you know, a lot of times when people uh, set off firecrackers and things, my wife is, is quite sensitive to that, and mm-hmm. so she'll, she'll go, what was that? What was that? Mm-hmm. And we have no fears. Right. We're not fearful of somebody coming into the home, Mm-mm. firing a gun, somebody getting shot, somebody rising up. And so just the natural sharp sound of a firecracker, yeah, you know, is, is a little bit nervous for the people that are like women that are a little bit on the nervous side. Mm-hmm. To compound that by, like you say, somebody, you know, the next door neighbor, the next neighborhood, the next town, all of these things, and the news coming in that somebody was building bombs in the area. Mm-hmm. Well, we need to pray for those believers yes, over sir. there. And, mm-hmm. and as the Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We, we certainly, any, any other testimonies out of Israel? There's a, just, just mentioned, there's a few young brothers that are um, active with military service, they're not in uh, combat positions, but they're, for example, 
you know, maintaining the Iron Dome. That's mm-hmm. one of the one of the things. So they're thankfully not in combat positions, but right. people activated and then family members of believers that are in um, different different positions throughout the military. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's one of those situations where this is what they're living in. They're trying to go back to life as normal. Schools are opening up and people are going back to work, but it's tough. You know, they have a service scheduled for, you know, Shabbat and for Tuesday. That's sort of their schedule. And you don't know, you could be on your way to service and the sirens go off and you, you're supposed to go to a shelter. So Mm. suddenly service is canceled, go home. We have a zoom meeting this week. And so that's kind of their reality that they're, they're, they're living in and trying to have service, trying to go back to normal. But of course, I mean, just just imagine your country's at war and you're trying to go back to normal. Sure, sure. It's very difficult. It would be like we went through in COVID, but compounded. Yeah. You know, with added dangers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not the, uh, I'll say, false and hyped up dangers of right. COVID, but the right. so very real and active dangers. Mm-hmm. And uh, not that COVID was false, but just uh, it, it was exaggerated in the, the danger to the population. Mm-hmm. But I think... I just can't wrap my mind around. I've never been in a situation, a dangerous situation, where, uh, you know, your life could be uh, extinguished by a wrong set of circumstances Yeah. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but we're certainly thankful that we, we have someone in whom we trust. Exactly. We know whom we have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able. Amen. Exactly. Yeah. Is there uh, any translation effort that's uh, that's going on in, in Israel? I'm looking on the message of your brother, Tim. I know we have 66 translations in the Arabic language. I don't see uh, anything, uh, perhaps say Hebrew, or what are the languages we have that are spoken in Israel? Uh, Arabic is spoken in Israel. Okay. And, uh, and, of course, Hebrew. So we have not done any translation work yet in Israel. They started on the Supernatural series, but um, haven't haven't completed it. Um, we have not started on on Hebrew and just we're just waiting on the Lord to mm-hmm. in any of those places, you know, you 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 broach that subject, but you really look look to the Lord to yeah. open the circumstances and lay it on people's hearts. So you can try to force it or pay for it or mm-hmm. hire someone to do it. And, you know, we sort of did that with Arabic. We hired a Assemblies of God brother to do it. It was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was poor translations. His heart wasn't in it. Right. And, and then we have to go back and fix everything. So, right. you know, we, we uh, I think the wisdom is, um, you know, keep it before the people as important, but. The it church has to be a burden. It has, really to, be has a burden. to be a burden. Yep. And the church yep. there, everyone speaks English or Russian and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So there's not a like, hey, these people can't have no access to the message. We have right. to get it to them. Yeah. So there's that aspect of it too. That's right. interesting. I was actually going to bring that point because I, I found that in many places, especially in, in Europe, for example, uh, more of the Scandinavian countries like Norway, Sweden, like the majority of people speak English. The majority yep. of your believers speak English as well. Yep. So then they're comfortable because they can read the message in English. And that's sometimes like, 
it creates a situation where you don't really have a pressing urge to mm-hmm. translate into local languages because it's accessible in yep. a language that you understand. Yep. I think a good example of that would be an, a language like the language of Yoruba. Okay, Yoruba is a Nigerian mm-hmm. language. And uh, for years it was felt like, you know, they most of the people, people speak English, mm-hmm. you know, it was something that wasn't really a burden for anybody. But the brothers got talking about it, uh, Brother George and, yep. and Brother Yomi, and, and talking with their former pastor over there, Brother Daly. Daly. And, uh, and so they were discussing it with him, and he said, well, it sure, there are a lot of people that, especially the older people but uh, and the more tribal people, that Yoruba is their main language. Mm-hmm. And so we embarked on Yoruba translation a couple of years ago, and mm. they're just about done the original project of 227 titles. Nice. And so, you know, we're very glad to get that done. But there had to be somebody that, that mm-hmm. would step up and say, no, mm-hmm. we need this, yeah. mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it has to be a burden for somebody yeah. in that language, whatever happens. And if the Lord wants it done, it'll get done. Yes, yes it will. He's the one that opens the door, and we're more than willing to walk through it. Well, I imagine, Brother John, we're just about to the end of the podcast. Yes. What's the future hold, Brother Jason? What are your plans? Uh, well, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. <laughs> As you see with things going on in Israel, I, I changed up my plans for the last part of the year. I was planning to go back um, probably around this time, right? Mid, mid, uh, either before U.S. Thanksgiving or after U.S. Thanksgiving and, and before Christmas to to spend some time with believers in, in Israel. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, you, you, part of some of our burden there is for, um, some of the Arabic churches and there's, there's, um, there is a, some Palestinian Christians. So, uh, myself and the brother there kind of have a burden to, you know, broach that and, and move towards that. Well, as you see, now is uh, right. a little be, difficult to would do be, now. Uh, yeah, quite problematic to try to do that right now. Exactly. So, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm I'm looking at a, a couple different things and just uh, seeking the Lord about um, both of those places, uh, Egypt right. and um, Israel. So we'll sure. see. We'll see what direction He leads. Amen. Yeah. Well, you don't know what the future holds, uh, like you said. Mm-hmm. The um, I was going to be in India myself, but mm. uh, the Canadian government had a bit of a tiff with the Indian government, and now we can't even get a visa to go to India. Oh, my. And so uh, plans get changed. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, uh, and so it put a few things on hold for even my own itinerary for mm-hmm. the end of the year. And so it makes me wonder, you know, with everybody's itinerary being uh, changed for the end of the year, maybe it's time to go home. Maybe God's... Uh, just leaving us getting ready for the, the gathering at the marriage supper. That Certainly would be wonderful. So. Yes. Amen. I'm ready. Amen. <laughs> Brother Jason. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate you sharing yeah. what the Lord's doing through your ministry and your work overseas there in the Middle East and in the Arabic language, which affects not just the Middle East, but all around the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. thank you for laboring for the body of Jesus Christ. And thank you so much. Thank you, Brother Jason. And to our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in today. May God bless you. If you want to find out more about Brother Jason DeMars' involvement in missionary work in the Middle East in Arabic nations, you can go on the website, Present Truth Ministries, that's presenttruthmn.com. 
And there's a tab, the Give tab. You can support missions, Arabic translation, or even help believers right now in Israel that are in need. Until next time, God bless you. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Remember, friends, the bridegroom will not come until the bride has made herself ready. She must be both called and fully dressed by the word of God.